is this? Some kind of water <laughs> Somebody once told me. We have to go back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And I hope you have your floaties on because we're going out to Waterworld. Oh, it's going to be a splash. That is that not? I'm looking it up right now. Is that the tagline for the movie? No, it's not. Mm. It's beyond the horizon lies the secret to a new beginning. So not as catchy. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something. Uh, Yes, the movie Underwater is hitting theaters And we decided to go ahead and dive on into the 1995 movie Waterworld starring everyone's favorite Aqualad, Kevin Costner. (laughs) Aqualad is like the dollar store version of Aquaman. And I really want that action figure now. So Aqualad was actually Aquaman's sidekick. Oh, like I said, like I said. Yeah. Uh, So uh, to give you a synopsis of this movie, in a future where the polar ice caps have melted and Earth is mostly entirely submerged, a mutated mariner, played by Kevin Costner, fights starvation and outlaw smokers and reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl try to find dry land. It's interesting that they mentioned the starvation because it feels like he's pretty good at getting food. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of what I really, yeah, I really appreciated that about his character is that he's got the survival thing down. It is very much like the Mad Max equivalent where he's got his own system. It's when he steps outside of that, you know, day-to-day norm that things get dicey. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think all the key elements are in that synopsis. Absolutely. And um, the movie, I re- so I remember this movie a lot from my childhood, or at the very least in the zeitgeist. The, the mm-hmm. Waterworld was a prominent fixture and reference throughout my childhood. Uh, so I was excited to finally watch it because I remember it mostly being like a punchline movie. Oh, um, so you hadn't seen it before. No, this is my first time watching Waterworld. Oh, oh neither had I. Okay. To be honest, but I was aware when it came out, and I remember we used to play uh, Floor is Lava, but Waterworld rules where you could like swim from base to base for three seconds. No way! Yeah, it was fun. It was good. But none of us had seen the movie. We were just aware that there was a movie that had recently come out called Waterworld. And, <laughs> that's uh, all you needed. <laughs> that's all we needed. We're like, oh, yeah, say no more. We'll take it from Got here. Got it. <laughs> we'll make our own rules. Yeah. So the movie Waterworld... Um, made its way to the sea uh, when writer Peter Rader came up with the idea uh, during a conversation with Brad Crevoy where they discussed creating a Mad Max ripoff, which, mm. you know. Uh, and, and so they wrote the final script in 1986 but kept it shelved until 89. And they cited Mad Max as a direct inspiration for the film while also citing various Old Testament stories and the story of Helen of Troy, which is why the main female character is named Helen. Uh, But after several rewrites, Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds, uh, the director, joined the project in 1992. And I, I realized in the research that the reason this movie became so infamous was because at the time, it was the most expensive movie ever made until Titanic two years later. 
uh, with a hundred and seventy-five million nineteen ninety-five dollars. Uh, I know I threw a lot of numbers in there. Uh, by 1995 <laughs> currency, it was $175 million. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the commonality between Waterworld and Titanic being it is just very expensive to shoot water-based <laughs> films. Well, yes. I know uh, that Kevin Reynolds kind of consulted with Steven Spielberg at one point because he was like, hey, you've done Jaws. Like, what is what is your advice? And he was like, don't shoot on open water. <laughs> like, don't do it. You're uh, going to need yeah, a bigger budget. That's kind of all I knew about this as well was like Kevin Costner's in it and it was really expensive to make. That's kind of what it's known for as being a very expensive film. Uh, to me, though, it makes me think of the Universal Studios Hollywood stunt show uh, which you and I have seen together. Uh, I've seen it many times, and it has one of the coolest firefalls since Reindeer Games. Um, <laughs> and so to me, like that was the story of Waterworld. And going into this, I was like, well, I wonder how closely it's going to be to the stunt show. Turns out, it, very close. Oh, very, yeah. very close. They've really compacted that down economically. Um, but that's all I knew about this. And so reading kind of the backstory of how this got made has just been really fascinating because uh, they did have a ton of problems. Uh, I think the sets got destroyed like three times from hurricanes and a bunch of people got injured. Mm-hmm. I felt like every other fact I was reading was like, did you know that this actor almost died? And it's like, yeah, it's a really dangerous environment. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they shot in uh, Hawaii was the, the main shooting location. I thought it was interesting. They, they used up, basically all of Hawaii's metal to make some of the sets. Did you read about that? Wow, no. They're, yeah, yeah. it's uh, because they have the, these giant metallic sets, and they they didn't want to ship them in, so they built them there. Um, but they ended up using, like, all of the – it was a 1,000 tons of floating set, and they used up oh all the available gosh. steel in the Hawaiian Islands, and th- they needed more, so they, they flew that in from California, <sighs> which is just crazy. But – the production added $35 million to the Hawaiian economy. So that's that's kind of the silver lining there. Yeah. And another reason why the movie was kind of like panned um, was because of the time it came out. Um, typically, when we review the movies, we talk about the budget and how much it made worldwide. In the 90s, they were really focused on domestic box office. So um, it was considered a huge failure because it made $88 million in the North American box office, which mm. a budget of $175 million, That's fewer millions. Yeah. <laughs> very fewer millions. Uh, but it did way better over overseas um, making 176 million dollar at the foreign <laughs> <Overseas>. box office <laughs> it's in the name so for a worldwide total the movie actually made 264 million dollars worldwide uh, so it actually did pretty good i mean it was it's you know a, a billion dollar making movie but it still did well especially with universal Still making money off of Waterworld, a live sea war spectacular to this day. They still mm-hmm. do this show at Universal Studios Hollywood, Singapore, Japan. Like it's still yeah. happening because well, yeah. the movie just did really a good job. It made a lasting impact. It is kind of weird when you go there, though, and you're, it's a massive area of the park that does the stunt show. And you're yeah. like, really? Like, Waterworld is the thing that you're going to dedicate here? But it it's always packed. 
like always, every time I've gone, it's just been like standing room only for this stunt show. And people love this movie. Like when you talk, talk to them about it, like, I don't really like talk to a lot of people around me sitting in the stunt show. <laughs> they but, really like Waterworld, huh? You know, oh, yeah. like Waterworld, are you here because of the movie or just because it's here? Oh, because it's here, but now you're going to go watch the movie? Yeah. I'm going to get probably this back tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the diehard fans, they have the back tattoo, which that tattoo is really interesting too because it's mostly got symbols that you can't read. But I found out that uh, the, the numbers on it uh, are the longitude and latitude for Mount Everest. Oh, wow. Which is a fun detail, which it seems is. like a nice segue to talk about some of the different uh, edits that exist about oh, yeah. this movie. So there are a number of different versions. It's very similar to Blade Runner in that sense. Um, both uh, takes place in the future and no one can decide on what the final edit really is. <laughs> um, but there was the theatrical version, uh, which is what we watched. Do mm-hmm. you? Okay, we didn't talk about it. I just assumed that we would watch theatrical um, that Kevin Costner and the studio really pushed for. Um, right. And that's the two-hour, 15-minute run. Um, but then Kevin Reynolds, the, he had his own director's cut that was a three-hour version. Um, but the studio was not really uh, psyched to go with that since Costner had previously done Wyatt Earp, which was an extended like three-hour a production like oh we it, it was that was a bomb and they didn't want the same thing to happen here yeah they're like um, what are we gonna do sell it on two vhs tapes <laughs> who's gonna buy two vhs tapes about a movie taking place on the water <laughs> it can't be done <laughs> then there was a tv special um that added 40 minutes of deleted scenes back into the theatrical wow. version and, but they because it was TV, they edited it. Uh, they edited out the the language and violence through a lot of it. They're like, so you added stuff in, but then you took stuff out. So there was a fan made version called Waterworld: The Ulysses Cut, and it combined the best elements of kind of all those previous versions, put back in a lot of the violence and language, um, but added in um, these extra scenes, especially at the end. Um, so spoiler wow. alert for Waterworld, and this connects back to what we were talking about with the tattoo, but at the end of this Ulysses version, it's called that because Helen uh, tells the story of Ulysses and basically says, hey, that should be your name. You are Ulysses going out. His reasons oh. for going out are different as well. Instead of saying like, I have land sickness or whatever, <laughs> he he says like, I believe that there are others like me. I need to go find my people. And if I find other humans, I'll point them back here. And so he has more of this continuing mission. But the big Shyamalan twist at the end is that, so that final shot in the version we watched is they're standing up on that hill, you know. Right. In this Ulysses cut, um, Helen and Elo they turn around and discover this plaque that's on top of that mountain and they kind of dust it away and it's a plaque commemorating uh the first everest summit uh and you find out this is mount everest and so that which is why it's above water because it's the tallest peak uh and so yeah it's a plaque from 1953 and they're they're able to kind of round out that story with the Uh, so yeah very different feel um, and I was able to find uh, I was able to find a clip of it, and it's just it's really 
quick. There are small differences, but important differences in that Ulysses cut. And that fan-made version became so popular that the original distributor said, you know what, we're doing this box set with the director's cut and the theatrical cut. We're putting the Ulysses cut in there as well. Nice. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's got all these different versions. And I think it's one of those stories that people just want to keep exploring. And it has so many possibilities. Um, but to me, I, I had remembered that Everest was, I had just read somewhere or whatever that Everest was part of this. And so that I was waiting for it. Um, and then when it wasn't there, I was like, oh, but it's Everest, right? Like that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all the different versions that exist. What's kind of weird about that though, is if they did make it to Everest, I guess we don't know how long they've been on the water. But I did find it interesting that when they dive down and, and Helen's in that little water bubble thing, mm-hmm. that that is Denver, Colorado. You could tell, like, they mapped it out from the buildings. Like, that is underwater Denver. So that's a really long trip of them going across the ocean from Denver yeah. to to the uh, Mount Everest. So, um, but I, I would believe, I mean, he's good at catching food. <laughs> he's yeah. good at catching food. And, uh, well, we know what they do for water. They answered that immediately. Yeah. It's just like, hey, you wonder what the drinking water is? Just like, nope, not anymore. I'm going to give this water to my pea tree. So, um. (laughs) Call it my pea tree dish. (laughs) So, like we mentioned, this was our first time watching this movie. And I have to say, I was very surprised by this movie. And I might say something a little controversial here. uh, Mm. But Pirates of the Caribbean Eat your heart out. Like this Whoa. movie, I think. A lot of people like that movie. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. Oh, man. You are in trouble. I mean, I think the thing I really appreciated about this movie was just how in person everything was. Like, it's not like, oh, we don't have these very large sets to work with. They're just like out at sea. And it's just like, well, I don't know what he's going to do. I felt like I was in the studio audience watching all of these different things happen because Mm. they didn't have like too many special effects except for, you know, underwater stuff where James Cameron was like, Oh, I must do that. (laughs) Uh, But this movie really did make me um, really appreciate and really dive into this world. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, because uh, it, it does have the same, appeal as Mad Max or the Mad Max series and because mm. that is to say that it's just a western stylized and set in a different post-apocalyptic world and, and the I like that thinking works, about the, I did, yeah I didn't I didn't equate it to a western but I, I like that a lot yeah like a yeah a, a drifter with a past moseys into town I'm not here to make any trouble but I gotta stand up for this thing someone needs travel to another place and I begrudgingly grow attached to them and that's most of clint eastwood's imdb yeah he's a literal drifter in this case yeah Yeah, but i think i think you're right i think the formula works which is why it's interesting to me that they went through so many versions of the script i guess everyone had a different idea of what it should be um but i know that the script kind of suffered uh initially because of the input of a lot of big parties kind of pulling it different ways um, because they they had a lot of production. Like Universal was involved. Kevin Costner invested, I think, twenty two million of his own dollars uh, to make this happen. So like he's gonna have a say. Largo was part of it. 
Um, but it went through 36 different drafts with six wow. different writers. And and even before that, Peter Rader had written seven drafts uh, before he was replaced on the, on the project. So it was constantly being revised and rewritten. But at its heart, yeah, it is a Western on water. So let's keep it on track with that. I just thought it was really interesting. It went through so many different versions. One version of the script that I thought was particularly interesting was that it uh, called for a second moon to be in the sky. Because the idea was that there was some kind of, you know, space event with a second moon and that the higher water was gravity related instead of warming related. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That just gives it like one more touch on the futuristic side of like even even the sky is different. But uh, yeah, a lot of variants. But ultimately, I like this Western on water feel that, that we've uh, kind of locked into. In the movie, I mean, just the cast is great. We have the return uh, to the podcast, Dennis Hopper, um, mm. as just an amazing villain. His villainy in this reminded me, I'm just like, wait a second, that's the guy from uh, Super Mario Brothers, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And it is. I was like, Dennis Hopper. I love the way that he plays villains in movies. Uh, we also have Michael Jeter um, as old Gregor um, making his way uh, back to the podcast. And uh, it's just it's just really fun to see all these um, these really prominent actors in this movie, because, like I said, I remember this movie like being panned. Uh, but it's I, I see now it's largely to the funding of it and not the content, because I love this movie and I can see why there is kind of like someone a cult following of people who are like re-edit things together or like add all these different elements together because they have so much actually the better thing to say is there's so much to see uh you should see how i'm spelling it um in this world that they established yeah the cast that you mentioned too to uh jack black is uh in this movie um as the pilot which wait jack black jack jack black no. is in this movie there was oh. one shot <laughs> where i was like wait a minute was that jack black and I then yeah miss jack black in this jack movie? black no real lines or anything like that he just plays a pilot uh he's just he's just there he's around um but wow. yeah jack black is in this movie Amazing. and uh someone else from the uh jared and jerusha has canon uh is Tina Majorino, who played Enola, who would grow up to be Deb in Napoleon Dynamite. So Whoa. if, if the, that little girl looked familiar, it's because you're used to her selling beads and such door to door. Oh, my goodness. But she's always been into arts and crafts. So that's pretty good. Wow. Also on Veronica Mars. Uh, but yeah, Tina Majorino is, has been acting forever. And this was one of her, her earlier uh, roles. So, yeah. And, yeah. uh, and then we, you know, we had the up and coming actor, Kevin Costner in like a really, <laughs> you know, a really interesting role where he was using his body to guard other people really just to step <laughs> out for him. Um, yeah. I do think it was interesting. Kevin Costner actually fought to have Kevin Reynolds be the director because they had worked together um, a few years earlier on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But by the end of this experience, it was such a difficult shoot. They were like, you know what? I've had enough of it. And they kind of had a falling out, which is uh, unfortunate. But apparently 
everyone had a very difficult time shooting this. And I know Kevin Costner said uh, on a TV interview, I think it was on Letterman, that it was the, probably the most trying thing was that he had to always look wet. And so people would, between every shot, just every take, they would just throw water in his face. And he was like, it it got very irritating. So everyone's nerves were kind of on edge, but they eventually crossed the finish line. What I think is interesting is there was a lot of like almost casting with this, but the one that I would have loved to see was uh, Deacon, Dennis Hopper's character, was almost Samuel L. Jackson, but he turned it down uh, to be in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, which ended up being the perfect choice for Samuel L. Jackson yeah. uh, and really launched his career to be what it is now. Uh, but can you imagine how different this movie would have been? It, uh, and we would have gotten that three-hour cut, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, and we would have gotten Samuel L. Jackson in an eye patch years before we were intended to. Whole different timeline. Oh, man. It's like, no, Wait. Yeah, there last, is last time he trusted, last time he trusted somebody. You lost an eye. Lost oh, an eye. I really love this movie. I really enjoyed it. I think one thing that was really cool was like how he was like spelunking basically, and he's finding different artica- artifacts. I would have loved it if he would have stumbled upon one of those things that they call a a dinglehopper. No, a head cannon. Head cannon. <laughs> Ah, our ye head cannon is a part of the show where we share with you with ye. Uh, I the accent made me lose it completely. <laughs> uh, head cannon is a part of the show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Biggest piece of head cannon, you know, mermaids sure do have a thing for collecting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I they they call him a muto, um, but I really think that he's just. You know, a mer, a merman. Um, so he says, I have no people, but I think that he's just, you know, not been on the 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 right p- parts of the sea. Because basically when the polar ice caps melted, the water rose, basically. And so he's going down to what ground level would be, but he hasn't gone deeper um, and I think that that's where all of his people would be. Oh, they, they would I see. be at the oh. regular sea level and not the <laughs> new, new sea level. I see. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Yes. For the mariner. For but the, our seas. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's more to see underwater. Hmm. More nice. at more to see at sea. To see what he can <laughs> see, 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 see. see. <laughs> That should have been the synopsis. <laughs> a man goes to sea to see what he can see, see, see. <laughs> That's so stupid. And all that he can see, see, see. It's the bottom of the deep blue sea, see, see. That was actually the pitch. That's how. Hey, hear me out. There's a like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yes. Um, but we're going to revise that 36 times. Uh-huh. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, before I had read a lot of the the history of how this was being developed and why it was developed, my headcanon was that it was a Mad Max spinoff. I think that was the most inherent connection for me. Right. Um, because while Mad Max only focuses on what's happening in Australia, there is all of these other stories to tell. Um, that it wasn't just... 
that it didn't rise equally everywhere, that it was more that it pooled and collected in certain areas, which is why it, it went higher than it would actually flood if the ice caps melted. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting how you could tell different stories of how the same event affected around the world, similar to what Walking Dead is doing now, where you're like, okay, let's get them out of like Atlanta and the U.S. Southeast. Like, yeah, we did uh, kind of the story in L.A. with the spinoff series, and now they're doing like further stories with the new Walking Dead show. Um, but do that with Mad Max and explore around. I, this very easily could have fit into that. Um, the aesthetic is the same too, like collecting scraps and trash and kind of MacGyvering them all together. Um, so yeah, I thought Waterworld would be a really great Mad Max meanwhile story. Um, and if they haven't done an epic rack battle of Mad Max and the Mariner, I definitely want to see that. I don't know if it exists. Um, so that was my primary headcanon. Um, some honorable mention headcanon uh, is that the Mariner is actually the descendant of Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah in Splash. Uh, which is, they don't really explain why he exists, but I guess like it'd be just natural evolution that he would adapt to these circumstances. But within a couple hundred years, I don't know about that. So I think there had to be a catalyst and it's Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Uh, And then uh, other one is that Michael Jeter's character of old Gregory uh, is secretly Carl from up. Uh, Yes. Guy likes balloons. Uh, But then ultimately this, uh, my briefest yet probably favorite headcanon is that this is really just a secret Bowser water level. <laughs> We're in the Mario world. It's not water world. It's Mario world. Super Grayson, Mario, yeah. So uh, you cracked it. I Bowser's back. No other headcanon. Bowser's back. I mean, look at the way his minions are dressed. They basically are like the Goombas. <laughs> That, that we know. So that means that that weird harmonica oh. on the ship that was just playing with all the... That's probably an Easter egg to oh my gosh. the Mario movie. Literally everything points to that. Everything. <laughs> really does. Everything points to that. This is what happens when the pipes burst. Yeah, so the, the chits or whatever they call them. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's just the coins. The co- oh, Grayson, yeah. you cracked it. That's it. There you go. So... <laughs> It all points to that. Oh, man. All right. Now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to talk to you about recast and remakes. Recast or remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Uh, Because I love that this would be like a Mad Max uh, in-world kind of sequel, basically. I would want Mm -hmm. them to make a water world sequel where either they bring back the cause, the Costner. Um, and oh, I was going to say, do you want them to bring in Bill Cosby? What? Ricky, what movie did you watch? Cause you yeah. said bring back, bring back is 2020. Oh no. Uh, so no, bring back Kevin Costner. Um, but maybe as like a late movie cameo, uh, but I would honestly love for this movie to be, pun always intended, a vehicle for The Rock and Jason Momoa uh, and a seawater adventure for muscles called Waterworld Fury Waves. And um, I would just love to see uh, both of them just do this movie and like the third act of Hobbs and Shaw. Um, but 
also Jason Momoa is there. I, I think it works. I think it works. My recasting uh, for the Mariner, I had Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. Just because we've been waiting a long time to see him as a mutant. And at this point, <laughs> I want it one way or the other. Yeah. Um, yep. I feel like his costume, though, would be the inverse of what Kevin Costner had, where uh, instead of just having like a torso cover, only the arms would be covered and the chest would be exposed. Yep. Um, so, yeah, just absolutely the in- invert that. Um, for Helen, uh, Jean Triplehorn's character, I had Naomi Scott from Aladdin and Charlie's Angels. Yep. Um, I just think she would be great casting for this. And then for Enola, uh, 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 I had Marseille Martin from Blackish and Little. Mm-hmm. Um, just a great young actress that I think could really bring uh, a lot of the same personality to the role. And then for Dennis Hopper, uh, I went with James Spader. So more subdue. Okay. More of yeah. like an Ultron villainous vibe, but you know, let's see something different. And then um, for Michael Jeter's old Gregor, uh, Toby Jones, uh, he was Armin Zola in the Captain America movies. Oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah. He always plays really quirky characters, and I think he would have similar that similar uh, Bell's father vibe mm-hmm. that we were getting uh, yes. from from this. So very much that. But yeah, for the remake aspect of it, though. Um, I, I've been going to the video game route. I think it would be... They had video games of yes. Waterworld. There was a Nintendo Virtual Boy game, uh, and it was, I think, the only one on that console that was based on a movie. But then there was also a PC game um, that was called Waterworld, The Quest for Dry Land, and you can see all the cutscenes from that uh, on YouTube. But uh, they they had games, but I really feel like if they were to remake it, today in game form like just doing it a god of war style narrative action game would be really great um but keeping it on on uh on screen as a as a tv show would also make a lot of sense because the story is very serialized kind of dealing with one thing after another um and i think they could they could hack it up into uh something like the Mandalorian or the Witcher, where you have these standalone adventures that connect to a larger story, right. um, going to different port ships or different villains, each episode, one episode where they go through like a storm, which was my main note was that a planet full of water. There's a surprising lack of storms. Yep. Like nothing like Camino, which is what I was expecting. Um, but I think all all of these individual events would lend itself well to that format. Absolutely, yeah, that's a really good point because I I think there there is so much to explore in this world, and even if they mm-hmm. just you know almost pulled a um, uh, Dark Crystal uh, Age of Resistance kind of thing, it's just like, hey, what? Let's show like maybe even a hundred years before this, just like yeah. what's in that world. What's like, how did these different kind of factions get built um, or, you know, set it to like a hundred years in the future. It, yeah. It's really fun and expansive. And I think it could be on Netflix to stream mm-hmm. for years to come. I, if they did go that route, I just want one of the characters to be baby Mariner. Uh, and the story is having to transport and save the mutant. I love it. All right. Now we're going to go into our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend. So Grayson, why would you recommend the 1995 movie Waterworld? So I'd recommend Waterworld, uh, 
so from a, a filmmaking perspective, I understand why it was so expensive. One, the, it's beautifully shot. Like the, the locations are beautiful. And so filming it in Hawaii and, and where they did that, I feel like that paid off. Um, but investing in these practical sets and these practical effects, yeah. it's worth it. Like that's, that's why it is a stunt show because it's seeing that close up, you get the same kind of thrill. If this had all been CGI, and I think that's the most jarring thing about this movie, to be honest, is when they go underwater or way up in the air, that stuff doesn't feel as tangible because the technology wasn't really there to sell it as well. But everything that that's on these giant structures that actually exist, they're in open water, like uh, e- even stuff that they had to cover in the tanks, you feel the the reality of the water. Um, and so it's a very, um, it's a very physical movie. And I think that's pretty compelling and, and something that I, I, I don't know, I appreciate more now than I probably would have back then just because everything is so CGI now. Um, and they would have done it that way to try to keep the budget in check. So for better or worse, Budget-wise, I think it really paid off visually in most cases. Um, but I ultimately, I recommend this movie because of the world building. And uh, you know, the, the saying is that necessity is the mother of invention. And it's really fun to imagine uh, all of these inventions that humanity would need under such radical circumstances. And so uh, I, I really love the way that they, they build uh, just what they would need on their ships, what these communities would look like. I know a lot of those other extended cuts touched more on um, the different communities. Like they mentioned offhandedly the, um, the slavers community that that's explored more in some other cuts. And um, the religion of the smokers is also explored. Like there are these very uh, like societal uh, world building details that are included in, in some versions of this story and I just love that they thought through all that. And I'm sure that was a large part of the re-edits and the rewrites because you are reinventing the world. And so I, I just really appreciate their attention to detail and a lot of that stuff and really honing in on what makes us tick as humans. What do we need? What would we invent? Um, but ultimately, uh, it's a thrilling adventure film. Uh, and so if you're a fan of Mad Max especially and want more of that, I highly recommend Waterworld. Absolutely. Very well said. I mean, this movie is so much fun. And it also goes to show you that um, movies that are panned for being like bad or uh, being a flop doesn't mean that the movie itself isn't good. Um, You know, I say that, but I also walked out of seeing Cats. So who am I to say anything? Um, But I, I really, really enjoyed Waterworld. It was the closest thing to being at a live universal water show that you're going to get. It's fun. It's compelling. um, And it really did a good job of being basically a spinoff of Mad Max, but while also having its own identity, like the Mariner wasn't just Mad Max, but with gills, like he was a own, he was his own person. He had his own uh, character and he felt different and he wasn't just like aquaman he's just like oh yeah he's just this guy like he felt 
so uh, unique to this story and in this world. Like, you couldn't just take him out of this movie and put him in another movie and just call it the same. Like, it would right. become a Waterworld movie when you put the Mariner anywhere else. So, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a really fun water western. And if you've never known that you wanted to watch one of those, definitely watch uh, the 1995 movie Waterworld. It's a real wet dead redemption. Oh, I, I didn't like that combo. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Thought that would sound better. It didn't. Uh, Red Sea Redemption? Yeah, the Red Sea Redemption. It's, there it goes. <laughs> sounds more historical than anything. <laughs> but yeah. And that is our review of the 1995 movie Waterworld. Uh, let us know what you remember about Waterworld on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at flashback flicks and it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice on a scale of one to seven c's or <laughs> you know we all know i mean I guess everything is it's just one c, c now yeah yeah so yeah. on a scale i guess of uh from one to five uh gadgets and gizmos hmm. yeah how, how would you rate this movie one sure them all. five yeah, yeah. you have gadgets and gizmos aplenty you do you really do. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. See you later. You should see you should how see he's... I'm spelling it in yeah, my head. You should head. see yeah. how he's I spelling. How, that time, you, you should S-E-E how I'm spelling. <sighs> <laughs> Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. All right, Ricky, uh, we have to decide our next movie. So um, what you going to do? Uh, oh, uh, how about we go with uh, Bad Boys? Bad Boys? Yeah, Bad Boys. Oh, that's what you're going to do. We are going to be reviewing the 1995 American buddy cop comedy, Bad Boys. Oh, I thought we were doing every season of Cops. <laughs> what you gonna do when we review you?